Hello guys and welcome to the Lean With Plants podcast. I'm Chelsea, former overweight, healthy vegan, confused about why I couldn't look like my favorite plant-based influencers even though I was chugging back green smoothies every day. After a decade of unsustainable vegan diets, I learned the truth about weight loss, lost 40 pounds, and now I'm in the best shape of my life even after two kids. Girl, if you've been struggling to drop the pounds as a vegan, stuck in a cycle of self-sabotage, sick of yo-yo dieting and going hungry, never being able to get and stay lean, then this is the podcast for you. Each week I share the no BS truth about why vegan women are overweight, the action steps to get you shedding fat, and the mindset you'll need to get slim for life. I'm stoked to have you here. Let's get started. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Lean With Plants. Guys, I am so excited and so privileged to be interviewing Robbie Barbaro from the New York Times bestselling book, Mastering Diabetes. This book has helped tens of thousands of people improve their insulin sensitivity, reduce their insulin medication, lose weight, and even reverse type 2 diabetes with a low-fat plant-based diet. If you have ever wondered what the link is between insulin and weight gain, how to improve your insulin sensitivity, how carbohydrates affect weight loss and weight gain, and whether saturated fat is something that you should be eating more of, or keto versus a carbohydrate diet, all of the questions around what diet is best, not only for weight loss, but also for uh, eliminating or reducing your risk of developing type 2 diabetes. There is so much misinformation out there about how insulin affects weight loss and weight gain to the point where carbohydrates have been completely vilified when it comes to being able to lose weight. And even if you are not a diabetic, this is still a awesome podcast episode for anyone who wants to understand the effects of carbohydrates in your blood glucose levels, how insulin works in the body, how to reduce your chances of uh, developing type 2 diabetes. It is a fantastic episode and let's get into it. Guys, let's do this. Welcome, Robbie. It's such an honor to have you here and a massive, massive privilege. Uh, You are a bit of a living legend and you have co-authored a New York Times bestselling book. You're running a global coaching program teaching people how to master their diabetes. Thank you so much. It's really an honor to be here. I appreciate it. And I really appreciate all those kind words. (laughs) Does it ever blow your mind that you're doing this now? Like, what did you want to do when you were a kid? Um, You know, I, my, growing up, my dad was, or still is, he's like a business owner and he, um, he's an entrepreneur. He's owned like a furniture company. And my mom uh, was a you know, homemaker, stay-at-home mom. She took care of us. She raised myself and my, my brothers. And, you know, I, I never knew for sure exactly what I wanted to do mm. um, when I was young, when I was really young. But it, in college, I definitely very quickly realized that I would like to be a diabetes coach and help people uh, get this information that I had gotten and had transformed my life. So 
I was lucky that I didn't necessarily have to, you know, try a bunch of different majors or different things to figure out what I wanted to do. I, I actually took a gap year and I explained to my parents, Hey, you know what, like, I'm going to go do these activities to learn more about becoming a health coach and um, looking into this topic and doing some research. And I think I might actually just drop out of college. And I, I, and I explained to them, I was like, look at how many people are living with diabetes. I have the solution. Like I can help people. Like I can, I can make a business out of this. It's doing good for me and doing good for the planet and doing good for people. And I eventually got my wits about me and said, you know what, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's actually a good idea to finish college, take your time. There's a long view here, um, get your education. And I'm really glad I did. So I, I knew pretty early what I wanted to do. And um, it's, it was, it's been fun. Like I, how it's all unfolded, unfolded and how we got here. And when I look back, I'm just like, wow, it's a lot of serendipitous events and a lot of beautiful things. And I'm just grateful and I can't wait for what's next. But I mean, the first for the first six years of my career after graduating from college, I worked at Forks Over Knives mm. and I didn't know like how long that was going to last, how long that was going to happen. I literally thought it was just going to be um, like a less than a year gig. We're going to launch a movie and then we're going to be done with it. Like, that's it. I'll go find my, my next, you know, next position. It was just an opportunity I couldn't pass. Yeah. And then it just kept on going. Like we just, we just kept on having some surprising success in, in some ways, um, particularly with the first book that we released at Forks Over Knives, becoming a number one New York Times bestseller. And we're like, wow, like let's, let's continue this. Now we're going to do a second book. We did a cookbook and we kept maintaining the website and then we launched an app and then a, a cooking school and then a, a magazine and then food products and, um, and then a meal plan and all this fun stuff. And it's just like, I'd end up spending uh, more time than I ever even had imagined. And then at some point I was like, okay, now it's time to really go and, and create something mm. that didn't exist before we started Mastering Diabetes. So mm. at Forks Over Knives, we were doing great work. Like we were, help I mean, I was helping so many people that's still doing that, but it wasn't specifically about diabetes. Like I was publishing a lot of testimonials, a lot of recipes, and there were diabetes testimonials, but you know, they were short, They're like 600, 700 words we weren't getting into the detailed nuances of diabetes. And there are so many details mm -hmm. and different, um, just different nuances, especially for the different types of diabetes you're living with, how long you've been living with it, what medications you're using. And I was in this position like, look, if you're living with diabetes and you want to follow a plant-based diet to improve your health, there wasn't one destination. There wasn't one place to go. Like that is the authority for plant-based nutrition and reversing insulin resistance. Right. You had Dr. Neil Barnard, one of the best books on the topic, amazing organization, PCRM, but they're not just focused on diabetes and you don't go there and get a lot of details about the different types of diabetes and all these different, you know, tips and tricks. You just don't, you just don't go to PCRM for that. Yeah. Um, you know, Joel Furman had written several great books on the topic, but again, he's treats a lot of different diseases. He's known for focusing on a lot of different things and we became really niche, really focused. And I'm just really proud of what we've done so far. And again, there's, you know, a long, long way to go. I'm young and our, our team is young and we're excited and ambitious. And certainly we're just like a small little tiny drop in this whole sea of, you know, people and organizations who are helping uh, people living with diabetes. And obviously we want to, you know, make a bigger dent. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's so, so cool. And I think the difference between a book and a coaching program is huge because when you're dealing yeah. with something like this, which is it's a daily struggle, you're trying to change your behavior and your habits that have been ingrained for life like 
it's very hard to get all of that. Inf books are great. I love books. But having someone to help you in a community is hugely impacting. I am so glad to hear you say that because that truly is the reason we started Mastering Diabetes is to give people that day-to-day -day nuanced support. And at the end of the day, we provide a lot of education, a lot of information, but at the root of it, we are a team of really knowledgeable, experienced diabetes coaches that help people through the nuances, through the details that apply to them in their lifestyle, you know, helping them communicate with their doctor based on their, you know, medications they're using and their history and, and really navigating that conversation and moving forward safely. Yeah. And then the support, the community, it's so important. Yeah. So many people are, they're doing it by themselves. They're living alone and they don't, they don't really have people who understand what they're going through that they can communicate with. They don't even know who to communicate with, what to ask. And you get this support of community. All of a sudden, you know, you have these new friends and they're asking questions. You're like, oh, wow, I want to know the answer to that question too. I had, I hadn't thought about that. Or, oh, actually, I really wanted to know the answer to that, but I was embarrassed to ask. Yeah. And you just feel safe. And that's really important. That is so cool. And we'll get into a bit of that later on in the episode. Like, how do you know who to believe and how do you do your own research? This, I, I really wanted to get you on here because there are so many people who struggle with diabetes and obviously this podcast is about weight loss and those two things are pretty tied. But before we get into some of those more specific questions, I was wondering if you could tell myself and the audience what is the key difference between the different types of diabetes, just briefly, because we are going to be talking about causation and how people can reduce their risk and things like that. Absolutely. So there are many different types of diabetes. Most people think, oh, there's just type one and type two, mm. but it's actually a little more complicated than that. So let's start from the top. Okay. I am living with type one diabetes. So is my co-founder Cyrus. And this is the form of diabetes where your beta cells have been damaged. Okay. We don't know exactly why there's a lot of theories but your beta cells inside your pancreas, which are responsible for producing insulin, have been damaged and no longer produce a sufficient quantity of insulin. So if you're living with type one diabetes, you must inject insulin to stay alive. Yeah. And insulin is a necessary required hormone. I think we'll get into this a little bit more in this podcast because people are so confused about insulin and, and weight loss. And, oh, if you eat fruits and potatoes and all these foods, it'll spike your insulin, which is then going to make you gain more weight and all this stuff. It's, well, we'll get into that. But insulin's necessary required hormone. You're living with type 1 diabetes, you must inject it, okay? Now, type 1.5 diabetes, this is a slow onset version of type 1, also known as LADA, latent autoimmune diabetes in adults. And this is characterized by people being a little older, so usually over 30 years old, and they also have one or more antibodies, one or more diabetes antibodies, and then they also have a low C-peptide. So a C-peptide level is an indicator of how much insulin your pancreas is secreting because insulin and C-peptide are created in a one-to-one -one ratio, and then they split off, insulin does its work, and C-peptide just kind of floats around, has a long half-life. So that makes it easier to test. And when your C-peptide is low, that means your insulin production is low. And that's giving an indication of your, um, your internal insulin production, not what you're injecting. So when I go get my C-peptide tested, it's literally less than 0.1. It's in an undetectable amount, even though I inject insulin. 
because when you inject insulin, it doesn't come with C-peptide attached. Okay. So that's why that test is so important. So type 1.5 diabetes, and something that's important to know is type 1.5 is often, there, there's a misdiagnosis here. More people are living with type 1 than people think. And there's some researchers that suggest there are actually more people living with type 1.5 than type 1. Okay. So what happens is oftentimes doctors are not educated about this and they misdiagnose somebody as type two and they think, oh, you're just, you're skinny fat. You know, you, you're like, it's, it's internal environment that's causing this problem of why you have blood glucose issues. But in most cases, that's not, that's not what's happening. There has been some sort of damage to somebody's pancreas. They're simply not secreting enough insulin and they're, they're not full on type one and they are sort of like, in the middle and it's confusing, but it's important to, to really know and get the right tests and people can figure that out. So one of our most popular blog posts, one of the most important ones we've written is called um, the C-peptide test, the most important diabetes test. You can just Google that or I can give you a link if people yeah, yeah, we'll put, put it in the show notes. But um, that article really explains this and we have a table in there which helps you interpret your C-peptide and diabetes antibody results, how, you know, where to get your diabetes antibodies tested, how to get a C-peptide test. Um, it's really important information for a lot of people. So that's type one, then that's type 1.5. Then you move into type two diabetes. Mm. This is the most common form of diabetes. And this is characterized by producing excess insulin. Okay. So type one, type 1.5, that was not enough insulin being produced. All right. When you produce excess insulin, okay. The reason you're having to produce that is because you've developed insulin resistance. So insulin resistance is a prerequisite to develop type two diabetes. Hmm. Okay. And so over time, your pancreas can get exhausted and by producing excess insulin, and you could become an insulin dependent type two. And we put this in our book. We have a whole section of the different types of diabetes, this little you, gray box. Is that what you call double diabetes? Yes. Well, no, actually double diabetes. That's no, I, I misspoke. Misspoke. Exactly. Right. So type, double diabetes when you have type one and insulin resistance. That's just horrible. Yeah. yeah, yeah that, that's, you don't want to be in that situation. Um, but so type two is caused by lifestyle choices. Yeah. Okay you know, excess weight being the biggest problem here. Right. Um, you know, most people with type two diabetes are overweight. Um, so again, it's lifestyle related and you can, you can really, really change that. In most cases, we say about roughly 90% of all people living with type two diabetes can completely eradicate the condition from their life, mm -hmm. completely reverse it, get back to healthy insulin levels and not needing any diabetes medication to uh, get their A1C in the non-diabetic range. Yeah. They now, Sorry, yeah. not go for it. Go, oh, well, we'll go pre-diabetes and then we'll go gestational diabetes. So pre-diabetes, that is what happens, you know, before you get to type two. I'm, at, I'm listing them in order of how we listed it on the cover of our book. Okay. <laughs> you could argue they should do it in a different order, but this is how I'm going for it. So pre-diabetes is obviously what you get before type two diabetes. Right. But again, you got to know before you get pre-diabetes, you're living with insulin resistance, right. which many people suggest is literally... 90% of the US population are living with insulin resistance and just have no idea. Just like 85 million people in the US alone are living with prediabetes and don't even know it. Okay. So they're living with the more advanced form of insulin resistance and they don't even know it. So um, that's just an early 
early warning sign that you are on your way to developing type two if you don't change your lifestyle. Mm. And then gestational diabetes, this is a little different because when you're pregnant, you naturally become a little more insulin resistant. Okay, it's part of the process. But if you get to a state where your blood glucose is too high, it's elevated because your insulin resistance has gotten like beyond, then you get diagnosed with gestational diabetes. And usually it disappears after your baby is born. Right. But then you're, you have an increased risk of developing type two and prediabetes down the road. Again, it's because you, you are living a lifestyle that is leading to insulin resistance. Right. So the overarching principle here is to understand that insulin resistance impacts all forms of diabetes. Mm. So like you said, you just brought it up, double diabetes. You could be type one, you could be type 1.5 and also be insulin resistant. Mm. All right. And insulin resistance is at the core of a laundry list of complications that are associated with all forms of diabetes. Mm. So the number one killer of all people in the United States is heart disease. And that includes diabetes. The number one killer of people living with diabetes is heart disease. Wow. And so it's our lifestyle factors that are leading to that. It's not just high blood glucose readings that are the problem. Okay. It's the, and that's why using medications just to lower your blood glucose readings is not actually addressing the core problem for pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes and gestational diabetes. Yes. It's not addressing the core, core issue of why your blood glucose is elevated. It's just a, so, it's just a symptom, isn't it? In the book, you gave a great analogy uh, where you said that it's like blaming insulin or excess insulin is like blaming a sore throat as the reason that you have a cold. It's just a symptom. It's right. a symptom of something right. much bigger. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so with that then, there's so much confusion about the role of insulin in the body and how it affects weight gain to the point that insulin and carbohydrates are actually blamed for the obesity epidemic. Can you explain to our listeners what insulin does and how it affects weight gain? Okay. So I'm going to make this very, very simple. It does not need to be overcomplicated. (laughs) Okay. If you want the more detailed, a little bit more complicated version, then definitely pick up the book and and read all the details. We have a lot of illustrations in there. But Let's just keep this very elementary, okay? That's great. Insulin, insulin's responsible. Its primary function is to usher glucose out of your bloodstream and into your cells, your muscle and your liver tissue, okay? That's insulin's primary function. And when you become insulin resistant, okay, the root of insulin resistance is when you have excess fat stored inside muscle and liver tissue. Okay, you have that excess fat in there, and your body is trying to put forth a defense mechanism to not allow too much more energy into the cell. Mm. Okay, so the fat, the cell's already loaded, it has all this fat, and this and your cell's like, I don't want any more energy. I, I'm 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 already overloaded. Please. So the, some- the best way <laughs> yeah. overloaded energy sounds great. <laughs> the, so the best way to prevent more from coming in is to turn off the receptors. Like, you know, let's not let insulin work. Therefore the door won't get open and the glucose won't come in. Yeah, That's what's happening. So what, what pre-diabetes and type two diabetes are characterized by is excess glucose in your bloodstream 
which is, you know, people, oh, I have diabetes because my, my blood glucose is high, right? Mm. But also excess insulin in your bloodstream. And the key word is excess, okay? That's the problem. Mm. Insulin's, insulin itself is not the problem. Insulin itself is not the enemy. It's when you live a lifestyle where you're eating too much fat, too much trans fat, too much saturated fat, and you could eat too much unsaturated fat, but primarily it's trans fat and saturated fat. You're eating too much of that and you're not moving your body, okay? And it's just accumulating and accumulating. That's the root of the issue here. And so people think, oh, wow, well, if I eat a bunch of carbohydrate, then my insulin levels are going to spike and I'm going to have this cause of weight gain. But what they don't understand here is that the carbohydrate is being blamed when it was really the foods you ate prior, the high fat foods, which led to that excess fat being stored in your muscle and liver cells. Mm. Your body's actually not very efficient at taking carbohydrate and storing it as fat. It's much more efficient at taking excess fat and storing it as fat. (laughs) So that's really what's happening. And when you get a chance to look at the research, which we went over extensively in the book. The book has over 800 citations and they're actually all online. So if anybody wants to read the papers, we made it as easy as possible because you just go to our website and you click the DOI links and you go straight to the study and you can read it. But what you'll see repeatedly in the research is people will confuse a low fat diet that's labeled in the research as low fat, but it's nowhere near a truly low fat diet. So we're suggesting in the research that we cite where we see the best results and the biggest improvements in sensitivity is when you consume no more than 15% of your calories from fat. That's a good mm-hmm. guideline. It's a good cutoff point. And then there's research where people are eating 30% of calories from fat, 35% of calories from fat, 38% of calories from fat. They're calling that a low fat diet. And they're saying, oh, wow, that didn't work. Or the low carbohydrate comparison diet performed a little bit better. Therefore, we recommend that for people with diabetes. But countless studies, and again, I have yet to see one study where the researchers did use a truly low-fat diet, and they didn't see significant improvements in insulin sensitivity. It is one of the most repeatable things in human health that you can ever do it. And it's not always true for in in human health. There's a lot of nuances. You can't always replicate things, but for whatever reason, insulin working more efficiently in a low fat diet is just mind bogglingly repeatable and reliable. And it's exciting to speak on this topic from such a passionate perspective, because I personally experienced it in my own body every single day, every single meal. And I've also seen it in countless clients. We end up working with a lot of people with insulin-dependent diabetes. And when you're living with insulin-dependent diabetes, you have a unique set of data that most people don't have, okay? So to truly understand how well insulin is working, you need three pieces of data. How much insulin is my body either secreting or am I injecting? Mm. What are my blood glucose levels? And how much carbohydrate energy am I consuming? So you, if you wanted to, you could test your blood glucose and you could calculate your carbohydrate intake, but you don't know on a moment by moment basis, how much insulin your pancreas is secreting. Mm -hmm. You'd have to go into a laboratory and figure that out. All of us living with insulin dependent diabetes, we know exactly how much insulin is working. 
because my pancreas is not working at all. Like I got the C peptide test to prove that. And so do most other type ones. So I get that instant feedback. And again, the numbers we see in myself and our clients, like truly medical professionals, they just, they don't believe it. Like they're like, I don't understand how somebody could eat that much whole carbohydrate rich food and inject that little of insulin. Like that's just crazy. And so, I mean, just for example, there's one study we cited in our book, people uh, living with type one diabetes, doing a very low carbohydrate diet. So they're eating about 30 grams of carbohydrate per day, maximum 30. And they're used on actually would be torture. It's really tough. Um, I actually did it. I did a plant-based ketogenic version, but that's another story. So in this study, they had no more than 30 grams of carbohydrate per day, and they were using 30 units of total insulin on average. Okay. Whereas I will eat well over 700 grams of carbohydrate per day. Which is a lot. And, and I will inject on average 27 units of insulin. Which is insane. The, the magnitude of difference that we're talking about here. Uh, when And again, it's all as simple as removing dietary fat mm. and increasing carbohydrate intake from whole carbohydrate rich foods. Mm. Okay. So the fiber and the nutrients matter. But the most important thing in this equation to maximize insulin sensitivity is reducing the total fat intake. I think that's so cool. And it's, it's fascinating to me because you touched on what is a truly low fat diet. And this was something that blew me away when I read Michael Greger's book, How Not to Diet. And he talks about this as well, that we talk about a low fat diet, but we don't actually define what that means. And people will compare a low fat diet because they're comparing it against the standard American diet, which is obviously hugely high in fat, in particular saturated fat. But what he was saying a few, which I think is really interesting, is that when you compare the history of humanity, people have been eating a legitimate, legitimately low fat diet for a very long period of time. So what we call like 15% of calories from fat or 10% of calories, that's actually a normal level of fat. That's right. And another thing that people don't understand is that when you're eating whole foods, you're consuming fat yeah. with every single bite. So bananas you eat have fat. The lettuce you eat has fat. The beans you eat includes fat. The quinoa, the potatoes, the rice, the bell peppers, okay? All whole foods contain a, you know, enough as long as you eat enough calories, okay? We and we put in an insurance policy to say, hey, look, have some ground chia seeds or ground flax seeds every day, and that will guarantee that you meet your essential fatty acid requirements, and everything else is just a bonus. Like, there's literally essential fatty acids in every food that you eat. So why is carbohydrates, like you talked about, it helps to increase uh, insulin sensitivity, for a carbohydrate-rich, low-fat, plant-based diet. Why is this so helpful for increasing insulin sensitivity if the problem with diabetes is this high blood sugar? Because obviously we've talked about it does, but like, why does that? Because you're obviously eating, I mean, 700 grams of carbohydrates. That's a lot of carbohydrates. As a diabetic, why is your system coping with yeah. that when you have so much blood sugar? Okay, so it's a great question. And this is why diabetes is particularly such a confusing condition. Okay. And, and another thing that makes it confusing is outside of just this, the basic question you just asked is the fact 
that diabetes is one of the few chronic conditions that you can self-monitor. If you have heart disease, you don't know if your heart disease got better or worse after one meal. If you have chronic kidney disease, you don't know. You don't have a number to look at after one meal, what happened. But with diabetes, you can test your blood glucose before, you can eat a meal, and you can test your blood glucose as many times as you want. Five minutes after the meal, 30 minutes after the meal, an hour after the meal, you can get all the data you want. And you can decide, wow, you know what? I just ate a banana and some blueberries, and my blood glucose went to 300. Uh, it went, it's skyrocketing. Yeah. And, and you're like, of course, that's the problem. How could somebody tell me any different? I just tested myself before I was fine. I ate this, these high carbohydrate foods and all of a sudden I'm high. Like that's the problem. I'm just going to stop eating those foods. And again, the issue is what you ate prior that, that puts you in a state of insulin resistance. So what's happening is as you start replacing the high fat foods with low fat plant-based whole foods, that fat droplet inside the muscle and liver tissue begins to dissipate, hmm. begins to, and it gets to a healthy level. You're supposed to have fat in these cells. It's just the excess fat. That's the problem. Okay. So once that happens, now your cell is excited to uptake glucose. It's like, Hey, I don't have excess fat in here anymore. I would love some energy. Please do give me some glucose. And now you're operating in a, a low fat environment. This economy is what your body prefers. Okay. Glucose is the preferred energy source. Mm. And now we're running efficiently. We're running smooth and you can eat significant amounts of carbohydrate energy and you need small amounts of insulin, appropriate amounts of insulin mm. to usher that glucose into your cells. And then now we have a beautiful system. And it's so funny how the human body is just this incredible miracle. Like how this thing works, it's truly mind boggling. We will never fully understand it. We've learned so much. I mean, it's mind boggling what we do know mm. and what we can manipulate. But just think of the wisdom. Like you eat a banana and you have all these nutrients. Who the heck decides <laughs> to get those, to divide up those nutrients and get them into trillions of cells? Like, like there are so many things happening simultaneously. It, it's truly mind-boggling. So anyways, but what we do know is you, you take out that, that excess fat and now you're more insulin sensitive. Right. It's truly that simple. And we know that you know, a healthy, normal human pancreas is going to secrete somewhere between like 25 and 50 units of insulin per day. That's like an appropriate amount. And so we can see this repeatedly with all our type ones. Mm -hmm. Okay, how much, insulin, how much total insulin do you have to use per day? And they're all getting into a healthy range while they're increasing their carbohydrate intake, mm. which again, it's like for most conventional, you know, diabetes educators or endocrinologists, it's just like, it doesn't make sense. Like, how is this even possible? How, am I, how is my client eating or my patient eating more total carbohydrate and requiring less insulin? Like, how does that happen? Right. And it's all because fat intake was reduced. The cells like, okay, I want the glucose and your body naturally says, okay, I'm going to make insulin receptors work again to allow the glucose to come into the cells. So the problem is not, it's not really that you have uh, like glucose in your body is that you can't get it out of your blood. Like, yeah, you, you you're required. That. You need blood. Glucose, yeah. You need glucose in your blood 24 seven. Okay. Right. <laughs> like it has to be there, but what ends up 
being corrected in the state of, you know, you know, following the mastering diabetes method and improving your insulin sensitivity, what ends up being corrected is your body's ability to take the glucose that either your liver is producing or that you're consuming and taking that and putting it into the cells like the way it's supposed to. Put it where it goes. <laughs> Put it where it's supposed to go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, and it gives you the energy to like be active again. It's, it's, it's this positive loop yeah. of having the energy, you removing the brain fog, sleeping better, all these things coming together. Oh, wow. I want to be active now, mm. which then makes your tissues hungry for more glucose. Mm. <laughs> and then the glucose makes it, it just it keeps going and going and going. And, and that's how you live a beautiful life. Because it's, it's pretty much universe accepted. Like obviously, we've got these two very polar opposite ways of dealing with diabetes, with like a high-carbohydrate diet, low-fat, very, very high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet. But it's pretty universally accepted that it is important to lower your body fat percentage when you've been diagnosed with diabetes. Is this partly because some of the fat that is stopping the uptake of uh, like that blood sugar is from your own excess body fat? rather than the fact okay. you're consuming. I, I want to understand this a bit better. Yeah, so, so let's, let's take a step back here and let's address the, the, what you brought up, which is a good point, is that there's this polar opposite way of treating diabetes. So you can, the ketosis version, the very low carbohydrate version, their approach is, okay, look, you've come to me with pre-diabetes or type two diabetes, your blood glucose is high, so let's stop eating foods that are contain a lot of glucose, okay? Or will break down into a lot of glucose. Let's just take them out. And it, to a certain extent, it works, okay? <laughs> People who follow this, and you can't deny the, the, the research or the case studies that are all over the inter internet, okay? People lose weight. And when you do lose weight, then you get, just the fact that you lost weight results in a laundry list of metabolic benefits. So for type two diabetes, that means oftentimes getting off of medications, sometimes even getting off of insulin. Um, <clears throat> that means getting, getting some more energy for sure. That means in see improvements in your lipid profile for a vast majority of people. So, but what we have to understand here, and again, this, this has to be like universally accepted. I know it's like, it's debated, but we'll, we'll try and address that. When you're following that approach, you are eating yourself into a state of glucose intolerance. Mm. Okay. It becomes, and again, I, 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 first off, I gotta say, I love the ketosis people. I, I respect them. I, we have so much more in common than we don't have in common. Yeah. And we are a part of a family who's all trying to take our health seriously and do things to improve our short-term and long-term health and, you know, reduce our burden on the healthcare system. Like, like we're all together. We're family. The biggest problem is apathy is the people who like just don't care, don't have the support to care. Like just don't have the information. Like that's our biggest problem. Right. But nonetheless, when you're following a very low carbohydrate diet or you're eating, you know, you're putting yourself into ketosis, you, you cannot eat a banana without seeing a dramatic blood glucose sky, uh, spike. You, you, you can't eat a potato. You can't have some quinoa. You can't have some beans. Like, and, you know, the other crowd says, well, look, I'm in ketosis. Why would I even want to eat those foods? Those foods are a problem. Like, what the heck? And our concern is that you can't locate 
long-term societies who lived in that you know, mode of ketosis for their entire lives, for an extended period of time. That, that doesn't exist. So there's just a lot of unknowns about it. Yeah. Whereas if you look at the long people who've lived you know, the longest and have the healthiest lives, the healthy lifespan, um, you see that they all included a some portion of carbohydrate rich foods. Mm. They weren't all um, super low fat. So I mean, I'm talking about the blue zones right now. Mm. Dan Butner wrote about these groups. Um, some were up to 30% of calories from fat. Some were below 10. Like Okinawa was around 10. Costa Rica was like up like near 30. But the point is, every single one of them included fruit, included potatoes and beans, like starchy foods. Yeah. So they were not living in a state of glucose intolerance. They were not avoiding those foods. Yeah. We are really concerned with that that mindset of like, oh, I just completely eliminate certain categories of foods and carbohydrate-rich foods, period, end of story. And so we do know, and again, we talk about this in the book, like we, we, we have chapter seven is the longest chapter in the book, has the most citations, and it's comparing a low-fat diet to a ketogenic diet mm-hmm. for long-term, long-term health. And so we have to extrapolate. We have to extrapolate. We have to look at the data we have. And so there is concern of living in a state of glucose intolerance. And, and again, I have to acknowledge the distinction between um, pathological insulin resistance and physiological insulin resistance, okay? Pathological insulin resistance is when you're producing excess insulin and you have high blood glucose levels. Everybody agrees that's bad. The low carbohydrate community is saying, look, physiological insulin resistance is different because we have low levels of insulin and low blood glucose levels. Therefore, this is different. And that's, there's truth there. That is that they're, they're not the same thing. And so there's not an extended amount of research on that, on that approach. But again, giving people information and guidance, say like, here, what should you try? What should you consider? What do you do for yourself? Yeah. Is living in a state where you're in glucose intolerance just doesn't seem like a good idea. Not a good idea. Like, Address the cause. <laughs> so, but at the end of the day, it's your choice. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, 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 the, and the thing that I'm the most passionate about is, and again, I respect the people who do this. I know a lot of people who actually follow a plant-based ketogenic diet, which is obviously very nutrient dense. It's high in fiber yeah. and they're getting their numbers checked. They're, look, all my numbers look good. I think this is going to work out just fine long-term. Okay, great. Like kudos to you. Like that's awesome. Um, but I just think that if it's important for people to know they have a choice, Yeah. most people living with all forms of diabetes think that I have diabetes. I must now limit my carbohydrate intake, or if I'm going to eat any carbohydrates, they must be the low glycemic ones. And we're here to tell the story of like, look, you can have another option if you want to, Yeah. here's how to execute it. Here's the research behind it. Here's why we think this is the best option. Obviously, I do for myself what I think is the best option. And you can consider your options and we're here to support you if you need any help. But that's why we exist. Mm. Yeah. Um, and when you go to a doctor, obviously, when you're diagnosed with diabetes or you're pre-diabetic, most of the time they're going to tell you, go lose weight. Right. I obviously believe that a low-fat plant-based diet is the best for weight loss even just for the fact that it is so low in calorie density, whereas a high ketogenic diet by default is high in fat. So it's high in calorie density. Right. Why is weight loss that important? 
for diabetes. Okay. So I love the fact that you, you just brought up um, calorie density, which is huge. And I'm sure you talk about this a lot on your show, yeah. um, be, uh, being what you, what you just said there. So essentially, again, if we're going to talk about diabetes specifically, yeah. and I'm glad we're getting to kind of like deliver the same message in a lot of different ways because it's important. Yeah. And again, so losing weight is very important for whether you're living with type one double diabetes or pre-diabetes or um, type two diabetes, okay? Or type 0.5 and gestation diabetes, you could be overweight as well. Um, but like, it's important because if you're overweight, that is, that's the sign that you have the excess fat in your muscle and liver cells, mm. which is causing insulin resistance. Mm. So as you're losing weight, you're part of that process is eliminating that excess fat. Right, right. That's part of the process. So that's why you want to get rid of it is because literally, literally, like it's truly this simple. If people just remember one thing, one thing from this entire show is that insulin resistance is caused by excess fat stored in tissues that are not designed to store mm -hmm. excess fat. Your adipose tissue is a great place to store, a, you know, a, a solid amount of fat. Okay. You, you still don't want too much in there, but you want an appropriate amount. But your muscle and liver cells should not have this, yeah. this excess fat, fat in there. Right. And that's what, when you're overweight, that, that's part of the process that comes with the territory. And so that's what you guys do. You address both of these issues where a doctor might just tell someone, whatever it takes, lose weight, reduce the fat that you have on your body. And you guys are saying, yes, reduce your dietary fat which is also going to contribute to you losing body fat and all of that helps with insulin sensitivity. Correct. And that advice oftentimes is it's incomplete and it doesn't result in long-term sustained success. Yeah. So, you know, you brought up the conversation of calorie density. So learning how to eat foods that are high in their water content and fiber content is what will lead to you feeling satisfied and being able to maintain this diet where you're eating an appropriate amount of calories per day. Mm. And it's, we're not about counting calories and all that stuff. We're about choosing foods that keep you full and satisfied and taste delicious, but are naturally going to put you in a calorie deficit. If you need to lose weight, like yeah. your body's, a, and what's so amazing about the human body is you really don't have to try that hard. Like, your taste buds and your, your desire to eat food, like it adjusts naturally. And pretty if you listen to that. And so, exactly. And it's like, so when, if you're, you're, you know, eating foods with the appropriate calorie density and you need to lose weight, you can be full and satisfied and have the weight fall off. And then once you get to an appropriate weight, it's like, Oh, well, what's going to happen? Am I just going to keep on losing weight and, and I'll just get like too thin and that won't be good. It's like, no, your body adjusts what you need. It becomes an appropriate amount to maintain your weight. And, and life goes on. It's funny how many people think that that's going to be an issue. It's like, has that ever been an issue for anyone? Well, like most people ever losing too much weight. Totally. And by accident. Yeah. Doesn't really happen. So with all of this then, let's say you go to your doctor, whoever you are, whether you are diagnosed with diabetes or you just want to lose weight and your doctor is telling you, you know, you need to eat uh, like animal protein, uh, don't do a plant-based diet, don't do a low-fat diet, especially if you've got diabetes. How do you know who to trust? How do you start 
that process of being confident in making your own choices when there is so many conflicting, well, there's so much conflicting advice out there? I love this question and it's so important because like you're saying, the advice is, the advice is incredibly conflicting. It's incredibly confusing because both sides have incredible testimonials yeah. of incredible people who are just the passionate. More, more of the anecdotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're there. They're there on both sides. Yeah. And both sides have, you know, a group, a slew of New York Times bestselling books. Yeah. Both sides are citing research in the world's top journals. And you're just like scratching your head. What the heck is going on here? How are these two different stories both so effective? Mm. And my suggestion is to truly, truly begin trusting your own body's experience, your own intuition, but also like the factual evidence of what happens in your body. So mm. if you want to get to the bottom of this and you really want to understand, okay, like, is it true? Is what these mastering diabetes guys are saying is that 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 team is it true that i could eat more carbohydrate rich foods and see my my weight come down my medication requirements come down my insulin come down like mm -hmm. like the best thing you can do is give it a shot like do it properly and we we have you know meal plans in our book we have a meal plan service on our website that people can use like do it properly and when you see it happen, like when you experience it in your own body, at that point, you own that information. It doesn't matter what anybody says, any research paper that's said, doesn't matter. Like you own that truth. Yeah. And you begin to see the, the just flat, I don't want to call it what it is. It's flat out incorrect information. Like I could go on YouTube and pull up plenty of experts, medical doctors, videos with millions of views saying that diabetes is carbohydrate intolerance. That's what it is. Don't eat carbohydrates. Yeah. And, and when you, when you experience it in your own body, like, wait, wait, wait a minute, I, I'm doing the mastering diabetes method. Mm. I'm eating plenty of carbohydrates. I'm eating potatoes. I'm eating beans. I'm eating rice. And my, my insulin requirements are coming down. My blood glucose is coming down. Mm. Then you, you, you immediately know that what that person said was not true. Yeah. That's actually not true. Yeah. And, and at that point, you're like, okay, who, who am I going to trust now? Yeah. Because like what we're saying, there's, there's just, there's no like, oh, wow, I did what they said. And then the exact opposite happened. Like that doesn't happen. Yeah. Like it's literally science. Yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. Like, I mean, I, I have, I have yet to like meet a, a, a person or work with a person to be like, yes, I did exactly what you said, like here, and my, uh, my insulin sensitivity didn't improve. Yeah. Like it is so factual and repeatable. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. And what, what I would add for that to, I'm obviously not a scientist, um, but what, what I see is that a lot of the time there's a real dichotomy of information and that people get very black and white that their approach is the only way and I love what you guys do because you share the scientific evidence about why it works. Like these are the mechanisms and you also could like, you actually contrast that with a uh, low carbohydrate diet. You say, well, this is what will happen when you have a low carbohydrate diet. Like, yes, you will have less insulin. 
yes, you can manage it, but it's not a long-term solution. You're actually giving examples and then you, you're showing how what you do is based on pretty concrete scientific evidence about what is actually happening in the body. And then people can experience that for themselves. I think, like, for me, I, I find this really frustrating when I see people come out and they say, a ketogenic diet is the only way to lose weight. And they ignore things like calorie density. They ignore, like, calories in, calories out, and all of these other factors. I'm like, well, obviously, if you're eating in a massive calorie surplus on a ketogenic diet, you're not going to lose weight, even if you're in ketosis. And people do it all the time, and they and they don't lose weight. And it's very frustrating to me. So that's something I'm very aware of, is be wary of these dogmatic uh, dichotomies. Right. I couldn't agree more, and I think it's, I think it's important to acknowledge the truth on both sides, because yeah. there are truths here. Um, and, when you, and when given accurate real information individuals can choose what they want to do and and that's cool yeah oh i love that so diabetes affects this is what i was reading was it affects 34 million americans 88 million are pre-diabetic which is absolutely shocking i didn't realize until i started reading the book that diabetes is actually classified as a pandemic And that by 2025, the worldwide number of diabetes is expected to increase from 72%, that's from 2000s, to 30 or 333 million, according to the American Diabetics Association. What can you do now? I mean, spoiler alert, we've already talked about it all, but what can someone do now? They're not diabetic, but how do you decrease the likelihood of developing diabetes? Because this is obviously an issue that we all need to be thinking about, not just people who have been diagnosed with diabetes. Yeah, so the numbers are staggering. Like every time I hear it, I'm just like, wow, we got a lot of work to do. (laughs) Um, We got to work harder. We got to get to more people. Um, But the best thing that people can do on just a really practical, simple level is to focus on eating more and more whole foods, like whole carbohydrate-rich foods, and just continue to increase and increase and increase. So in our book, like we're educating people to start with just breakfast. Just start with breakfast, take, as long as it takes for you to master that, and then move to the next meal, and then move to the next meal. And it's really, we're passionate about whole foods and acknowledging how that impacts your overall health. And in the book, we actually cover research where even refined carbohydrate is shown to improve insulin sensitivity, whether that's Dr. Kempner's work or um, Dr. Kime. Like there's some interesting studies on that topic, but that's just looking at diabetes, blood growth control, not necessarily the bigger picture. We know that whole foods that include their water and fiber, which makes for the bulk, which increases satiety, which is all about the calorie density stuff you're talking about, plus the vitamins, the minerals, the antioxidants, like this whole food, this package, it's a synergy that we truly can never understand. It is beyond our comprehension. And how these nutrients interact and how they, you know, work together to increase absorption and just work their own magic, Mm. we just don't fully understand. So focusing on more whole foods, one meal at a time, that's the simplest thing to do. And just start, you know, focus on the positives. I don't like to think about what you're taking away. Think about what you're adding. You know, you're adding in more, and there's so many fun recipes out there these days. Yeah, I I I get FOMO every time I see your Instagram post. I'm like, oh, that fruit looks so good. (laughs) 
Totally. And this and trying new foods as well. It's one of, it's really fun. I mean, I'm in Miami right now and I'm getting to eat a bunch of these tropical foods, mm. but many of them, you know, people could have shipped to them. Or if you just look at your store, you'll find it. Like most people, um, they go to the grocery store and there's guavas there, but most people have, they're not really buying the guavas <laughs> or there might be plantains and people aren't really eating, you know, fried plantains or, um, you know, making plantain chips and stuff like that. Like mm. there's just so much fun stuff to have. Um, even a lot of people may have, not eating arugula. They're not eating enough arugula. And arugula is just a fun green to add. It's got the spicy kick. They may call it racket where you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, more whole foods, more variety, more fun. And and just there sort of start to like lean into it and have fun with it. That That's huge. Yeah. And it's, it's this journey where you're progressing towards that goal. It doesn't have to be all or nothing this is what i see yeah. people do this a lot and it, it it's really saddening to me where if they can't achieve that perfection of maybe someone who's like 100 percent raw yeah. or like 100 percent whole foods plant-based they're just like well I, like why would i bother and it's not like that at all the more that you do this the more freedom you get and the great thing about eating this way is even though you and i like we're not eating animal products we're eating a low-fat plant-based diet we're not eating processed food I mean, I probably, I eat more processed food than you for sure, but that there's so much freedom in being able to eat as much as you want. Like those numbers, like for context, I, for you guys in the States, you normally use ounces and pounds. Yeah. Like 700 Mm -hmm. grams. Like I know how much carbohydrates that is when I I did macro counting for a little while and I was like, I was meant to eat like 180 grams of carbohydrates a day Uh it was was so hard like 700 grams of carbohydrates is so much food and that is it's so freeing to be able to do that totally totally and to eat foods again that that you enjoy i think a lot of people um again when it comes either you know getting diagnosed with diabetes or maybe i gotta prevent diabetes and i should stop eating these you know carbohydrate foods that i enjoy i should stop eating you know the you can have like, like, I mean, people like French fries, make some healthy French fries, dip it in some good ketchup. You know what I mean? Like, like you get to eat those foods um, and just, and know that you're doing good for your body. So um, I hope that people listening to this show, you know, it'd be fun is if they tagged us yeah. on Instagram in a story of eating like one new food. Okay. I, I want people to try one new whole food and tag us just tag at mastering diabetes and tag your account. And um, let's see how many people actually like take some action on this. I love that idea so much. Do you have a specific food that you suggest that they should go get? Like, what do you think? Actually, I recommend bulgar wheat because my husband cooked it up yesterday. He thought okay. it was ground rice. It didn't have a pack on it. And it actually works really, really well as like a rice substitute. And I think, I mean, this is another conversation, but with the arsenic <laughs> and rice levels, I think it's always good to find a substitute for rice. So, Okay, like fun. So that's it. That's the challenge, guys. Do you have recommendations of where they could find the, this bulgur wheat you're talking about? Anywhere? Like any kind of bulk, uh, whole foods or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure what you guys have there. I'm sure it's at any supermarket. Yeah, okay. And then do you put it in a recipe of some sort? Like what's Yeah, I mean, it included? would be great to have as like a tabbouleh. You could have a uh-huh. rice substitute, put it as your grain in a salad. I love this. Yeah, what, this about, what about you? What would you say? I mean, okay, so your your vulgar wheat's your challenge. Yeah. I challenge people to go to the grocery store. See, the seasons are a little bit different. Yeah. People listening worldwide. So 
I'm gonna rec- I'm gonna challenge people to literally go to the store and get any kind of citrus. Okay, any kind of citrus, a blood orange, a caracara orange, a tangerine, a grapefruit, a pomelo. Okay, mm. any, any one of those and tag us and tell us that you're eating more whole foods and let's get this party started. I love that. I can't wait to see what people tag. We have, yeah. you ever had- Tell them, you better in the intro, you better tell them to listen to the end yeah. to, to join in on this challenge. We have something here called feijoas and they're these little green fruit that you cut open. It's like a big guava. Uh, and they're just unreal. And you can go pretty much walk down any street, any neighborhood. There'll be someone with a tree hanging over and you just pick up the feijos off the ground. How do you spell that? It's F-E-I-J-O-A. Okay. And and they're they're small or they're large? Yeah, like about this about this big. Okay, I've had I've had that before. It's not very common here. Yeah. But they're good. They're, they're good. They're so, so good. Yeah. That's cool. I love it. Thank you so much, Robbie. I've had so much fun on this and it's been super, super helpful for me to understand a bit more about this. And yeah, I think the the main takeaways is, like we said, whole foods plant-based, that's the best thing that you can do to reduce your chances of diabetes. And when you have diabetes, educating yourself, following the Mastering Diabetes program, where can people find you and your book and your program? So the best place to connect with us is our website masteringdiabetes.org and in the upper right you can take a quiz yes yeah, and the, the quiz the quiz is so cool <laughs> yeah absolutely so the quiz is a lot of fun it takes like less than five minutes you answer some questions and then we can tell you how insulin resistant you are okay wow. so you take that quiz and then you'll you'll get some information after that so that's fun uh, we also have a lot of recipes on our website we publish about a new recipe every week um, we have a lot of really great articles on various topics around diabetes. We publish testimonials on there. So there's a lot happening on the website. And then we're also on, you know, the social media platforms. We're on Facebook, just type in Mastering Diabetes. We are on YouTube. You can type in Mastering Diabetes. We have a couple of really, really popular videos on there. Um, they'll, they'll show up at the top of our channel. You're everywhere. If you search Mastering yeah. Diabetes, 100%. Instagram, we're very active on Instagram. Catch us there. And, um, We'll just join Clubhouse. We're on oh. Twitter. Like, connect with us anywhere. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you.